Chapter thirty seven of the Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter thirty seven. Led by simplicity divine, she pleased, and never tried to shine. Hannah Moore. From Catskill, Dr. Jeremy proceeded directly to Saratoga. The place was crowded with visitors, for the season was at its height, and the improvident traveller, having neglected to secure rooms, they had no right to expect any accommodation. "'Where do you propose stopping?' inquired an acquaintance of the doctors, whom they accidentally encountered in the cars. "'At Congress Hall,' was the reply. "'It will be a quiet place for us old folks, and more agreeable than any other house to Miss Graham, who is an invalid.' "'You are expected, I conclude.' "'Expected? No, who should be expecting us?' "'Your landlord. If you have not engaged rooms, you will fare badly, for every hotel is crowded to overflowing.' "'We must take our chance, then,' said the doctor, with an indifference of manner which wholly forsook him upon his fairly arriving at his destination, and learning that his friend's words were true. "'I don't know what we are going to do,' said he, as he joined the ladies, whom he had left for a few moments while he made inquiries. "'They say every house is full.' "'And if so, we'd better take the next train of cars and be off, "'for we can't sleep in the street.' "'Carriage, sir?' shouted a hackman, "'leaning over a railing a few steps distant, "'and beckoning to the doctor with all his might, "'while another, and still bolder aspirant for employment, "'tapped his shoulder, and made a similar suggestion, "'in a most insinuating tone of voice. "'Carriage?' repeated the doctor angrily. "'What for? Where would you carry us, for mercy's sake? "'There isn't a garret to be had in your town, for love or money.' "'Well, sir,' said the last-mentioned petitioner, a sort of omnibus attaché, taking off his cap as he spoke, and wiping his forehead with a torn and soiled pocket-handkerchief. "'The house is as pretty considerable full just now, to be sure, but maybe you can get colonized out.' "'Colonized out?' said the doctor, still in a tone of extreme vexation. "'That's what I think we are already. What I want is to get in somewhere. Where do you usually drive your coach?' "'To Congress Hall.' "'Drive up, then, and let us get in. "'And mind, if they don't take us at Congress Hall, "'we shall expect you to keep us "'until we find better accommodations.' "'Mrs. Jeremy, Emily, and Gertrude "'were consequently assisted into a small omnibus, "'and closely packed away among half a dozen ladies and children, "'who, tired, dusty, and anxious, "'were schooling themselves to patience, "'or encouraging themselves with hope. "'The doctor took a seat upon the outside.' and the moment the vehicle stopped, hastened to present himself to the landlord. As he had anticipated, there was not a vacant corner in the house. Wishing to accommodate him, however, the office-keeper announced the possibility that he might be able before night to furnish him with one room in a house in the next street. "'One room in the next street?' cried the doctor. "'Ah, that's being colonized out, is it? Well, sir, it won't do for me. I must have a place to put my ladies in at once.' "'Why, in conscience, don't you have hotels enough for your visitors?' "'It is the height of the season, sir, and—' "'Why, Dr. Jeremy!' exclaimed the youthful voice of Netta Griseworth, who was passing through the hall with her grandmother. "'How do you do, sir? Are Miss Graham and Miss Flint with you? Have you come to stay?' Before the doctor could answer her questions, and pay his respects to Madame Griseworth, a venerable old lady, whom he had known thirty years before, the landlord of the hotel accosted him. "'Dr. Jeremy?' said he. "'Excuse me, I did not know you. "'Dr. Jeremy, of Boston?' "'The same,' said the doctor, bowing. "'Ah, we are all right, then. "'Your rooms are reserved, and will be made ready in a few minutes. "'They were vacated two days ago, and have not been occupied since.' "'What is all this?' exclaimed the honest doctor. "'I engage no rooms.' 
"'A friend did it for you, then, sir. "'A fortunate circumstance, especially as you have ladies with you. "'Saratoga is very crowded at this season. "'There were seven thousand strangers in the town yesterday.' The doctor thanked his stars and his unknown friend, and summoned the ladies to enjoy their good fortune. "'Why, now, ain't we lucky?' said Mrs. Jeremy, as she glanced round the comfortable room allotted to herself, and then, crossing the narrow entry, took a similar survey of Emily's and Gertrude's apartment. After all the talk everybody made, too, about the crowd of folks there were here scrambling for places. The doctor, who had just come upstairs— having waited to give directions concerning his baggage, approached the door in time to hear his wife's last remark, and entering with his finger upon his lip, and a mock air of mystery, exclaimed in a low voice, "'Hush, hush! Don't say too much about it. We are profiting by a glorious mistake on the part of our good landlord. These rooms were engaged for somebody, that's certain, but not for us. However, they can't do more than turn us out when the right folks come, and until then we have a prospect, I see, of very good lodgings.' But if the Jeremys were not the right folks, the right folks never came, and in the course of a week our party not only ceased to be conscious of their precarious footing in the house, but even had the presumption to propose, and the good fortune to obtain, a favorable exchange for Emily to a bedroom upon the first floor, which opened directly into the drawing-room, and saved her the necessity of passing up and down the often crowded staircases. It was nearly tea-time on the day of their arrival, and Emily and Gertrude had just completed their toilet, when there was a light rap upon their door. Gertrude hastened to open it, and to admit Ellen Griesworth, who, while she saluted her with southern warmth of manner, hesitated at the threshold, saying, "'I am afraid you will think me an intruder, but Netta told me you had arrived, and hearing accidentally from the chambermaid that you had the next room to mine, I could not forbear stopping a moment as I passed to tell you how very glad I am to see you again.' Gertrude and Emily expressed their pleasure at the meeting, thanked her for her want of ceremony, and urged her to come in and remain with them until the gong sounded for tea. She availed herself of the invitation, and, taking a seat upon the nearest trunk, proceeded to inquire concerning their travels and Emily's health since they parted at West Point. Among other adventures, Gertrude mentioned their having again encountered Mr. Phillips. "'Indeed,' said Miss Griesworth, "'he seems to be a ubiquitous individual. "'He was in Saratoga a day or two ago, "'and sat opposite to me at our dinner-table. "'But I have not seen him since. "'Did you become acquainted with him, Miss Graham?' "'I am sorry to say I did not,' replied Emily. "'Then, looking smilingly at Gertrude, she added, "'Gertie was so anxious for an opportunity to introduce me "'that I was quite grieved for her disappointment.' "'Then you liked him?' said Miss Griesworth, addressing herself to Gertrude, and speaking with great earnestness. "'I knew you would.' "'He interested me very much,' replied Gertrude. "'He is very agreeable, very peculiar, and to me rather incomprehensible.' "'Noncommittal, I see,' said Miss Griesworth, archly. "'I hope you will have a chance to make up your mind. It is more than I can do, I confess. For every time I am in his company, I recognize some new and unexpected trait of character.' He got so angry with one of the waiters, the day he dined with us in New York, that I was actually frightened. However, I believe my fears were groundless, for he is too much of a gentleman to bandy words with an inferior, and though his eyes flashed like coals of fire, he kept his temper from blazing forth. I will do him the justice to say that this great indignation did not spring from any neglect he had himself received, but from the man's gross inattention to two dowdy-looking women from the country— who had never thought of such a thing as feeing him, and therefore got nothing to eat until everybody else had finished, and looked all the time as disappointed and ashamed as if they were just out of the state prison. "'Too bad!' exclaimed Gertrude energetically. 
I don't wonder Mr. Phillips felt provoked with the mercenary fellow. I like him for that. It was too bad, said Miss Grisworth. I couldn't help pitying them myself. One of them, a young girl, fresh from the churn, who had worn her best white gown on purpose to make a figure in the city, looked just ready to burst out crying. I hope such instances of neglect are not very common, said Gertrude. I am afraid if they are, Emily and I shall be on the crying list, for Dr. Jeremy never will fee the waiters beforehand. He says it is a mean thing, and he should scorn to command attention in that way. Oh, you need have no such fear, said Miss Grisworth. Persons in the least accustomed to hotel life can always command a moderate share of attention, especially in so well regulated an establishment as this. Grandmamma shares the doctor's views with regard to bargaining for it beforehand, but no one ever sees her neglected here. The case which occurred in New York was a gross instance of that partiality for which the public are partly to blame. The waiters can tell easily enough who will endure to be imposed upon, and the embarrassed faces of the two country ladies, who found so fierce an advocate in Mr. Phillips, were alone sufficient to lay them open to any degree of neglect. Another light tap at the door, and this time it was Netta Grisworth, who entered, exclaiming, I hear Ellen's voice, so I suppose I may come in. I am provoked, added she, as she kissed Emily's hand, and shook Gertrude's with a freedom and vivacity which seemed to spring partly from girlish hoydenism and partly from high-bred independence of manner. To think that while I have been watching about the drawing-room doors for this half-hour, so as to see you the first minute you came in, Ellen has been sitting here on a trunk, as sociable as all the world, enjoying your society, and telling you every bit of news. Not every bit, Netta, said Ellen. I have left several choice little morsels for you. Have you told Miss Flint about the foxes and the coxes that were here yesterday? Has she, Miss Flint? Not a word about them, said Gertrude. Nor about the fright we had on board the steamboat? No. Nor about Mr. Phillips being here? Oh, yes, she told us that. Ah, she did, exclaimed Netta, with an arch look, which called up her sister's blushes. And did she tell you how he occupied this room, and how we heard him through the thin partition, pacing up and down all night, and how it kept me from sleeping, and gave me a terrible headache all the next day? No, she did not tell me that, said Gertrude. You don't either of you walk all night, do you? asked Netta. Not often. Oh, how thankful we ought to be to have you for neighbors, replied Netta. If that horrible man had stayed here, and kept up that measured tread, there would have been a suicide, either in his room or ours, before many nights. "'Do you think he was ill?' inquired Gertrude. "'No, indeed,' said Ellen. "'It was nothing very remarkable. "'Not for him, at least. "'All his habits are peculiar. "'But it kept Netta awake an hour or two, "'and made her fidgety.' "'An hour or two, Ellen?' cried Netta. "'It was the whole night.' "'My dear sis,' said Ellen, "'you don't know what a whole night is. "'You never saw one.' "'A little sisterly discussion might have ensued "'about the length of Mr. Phillips' walk "'and Netta's consequent wakefulness.' but fortunately the gong sounded and netta flew off to her own room to brush out her puffs before tea saratoga is a queer place one sees congregated there at the height of the season delegates from every part of our own and from many foreign countries fashion's ladder is transplanted thither and all its rounds are filled beauty wealth pride and folly are well represented and so too are wit genius and learning idleness reigns supreme and no one, not even the most active, busy, and industrious citizen of our working land, dares, in this her legitimate province, to dispute her temporary sway. Every rank of society, every profession, and almost every trade, meet each other on an easy and friendly footing. 
the acknowledged belle, the bearer of an aristocratic name, the owner of a well-filled purse, the renowned scholar, artist, or poet, having all a conspicuous sphere to shine in. There are many counterfeits, too. The nobodies at home stand a chance to be considered somebodies here. And the first people of a distant city, accustomed to consider themselves somebodies, sit in corners and pout at suddenly finding themselves nobodies. All come, however, from a common motive. All are in pursuit of amusement, recreation, and rest from labor. And in this search after pleasure, a friendly and benevolent sentiment for the most part prevails. All are in motion, and the throngs of well-dressed people moving to and fro, on foot, on horseback, and in carriages, together with the gay assemblages crowded upon the piazzas of the hotels, constitute a lively and festive scene, and he who loves to observe human nature may study it here in its most animated form. It was a wholly new experience to Gertrude, and although, in the comparative retirement and privacy of Congress Hall, she saw only the reflection of Saratoga gaiety, and heard only the echo of its distant hum, there was enough of novelty and excitement to entertain, amuse, and surprise one who was a complete novice in the ways of fashionable life. In the circle of high-bred, polished, literary, and talented persons whom Madame Grisworth drew about her, and into which Dr. Jeremy's party were at once admitted as honored members, Gertrude found much that was congenial to her cultivated and superior taste, and she herself soon came to be appreciated and admired as she deserved. Madame Grisworth was a lady of the old school, one who had all her life been accustomed to the best society, and who continued, in spite of her advanced years, to enjoy and to adorn it. She was still an elegant-looking woman, tall and stately, and though a little proud, and to strangers a little reserved, she soon proved herself an agreeable companion to people of all ages. For the first day or two of their acquaintance, poor Mrs. Jeremy stood much in awe of her, and could not feel quite at ease in her presence. But this feeling wore off wonderfully quick, and the stout little doctor's lady soon became exceedingly confiding and chatty towards the august dame. One evening, when the Jeremys had now been a week at Saratoga, as Emily and Gertrude were leaving the tea-table, they were joined by Netta Grisworth, who, linking her arm in Gertrude's, exclaimed, in her usual gay manner, "'Gertrude, I shall quarrel with you soon.' "'Indeed,' said Gertrude, "'on what ground?' "'Jealousy.' Gertrude blushed slightly. "'Oh, you needn't turn so red. It's not on account of any grey-headed gentleman's staring at you all dinner-time from the other end of the table. No, I'm indifferent on that score. Ellen and you may disagree about Mr. Phillips' attentions, but I'm jealous of those of another person.' "'I hope Gertrude isn't interfering with your happiness in any way,' said Emily, smiling. "'She is, though,' replied Netta. "'My happiness, my pride, my comfort. She is undermining them all.' She would not dare to conduct so, Miss Graham, if you could see her behavior. Tell me all about it, said Emily, coaxingly, and I will promise to interest myself for you. I doubt that, answered Netta. I am not sure, but you are a coadjutor with her. However, I will state my grievance. Do you not see how entirely she engrosses the attention of an important personage? Are you not aware that Peter has ceased to have eyes for anyone else? For my own part— I can get nothing to eat or drink until Miss Flint is served, and I'm determined to ask Papa to change our seats at the table. It isn't that I care about my food, but I feel insulted. My pride is essentially wounded. A few days ago I was a great favorite with Peter, and all my pet dishes were sure to be placed directly in front of me. But now the tune has changed, and this very evening I saw him pass Gertrude the blackberries, which the creature knows I delight in, 
while he pushed a dish of blues towards me in a contemptuous manner, which seemed to imply, "'Blueberries are good enough for you, miss.' "'I have noticed that the waiters are very attentive to us,' said Emily. "'Do you suppose Gertrude has been secretly bribing them?' "'She says not,' replied Netta. "'Didn't you tell me so yesterday, Gertrude, "'when I was drawing a similar comparison "'between their devotion to you and to our party? "'Didn't you tell me that neither the doctor nor any of you "'ever gave Peter a cent?' "'Certainly,' answered Gertrude. "'His attentions are all voluntary, "'but I attribute them entirely to Emily's influence "'and his desire to serve her.' "'It's no such thing,' said Netta, emphasizing her remark by a mysterious little shake of the head. "'It's sorcery. I'm sure of it. You've been practicing the black art, Gertrude, and I'll warn Peter this very day.' As she spoke, they reached a corner of the drawing-room, where the old ladies Grisworth and Jeremy were sitting upon a sofa, engaged in earnest conversation, while Ellen, who had just returned from a drive with her father, stood talking with him and a Mr. Pentrancourt, who had that evening arrived from New York.' The ladies on the sofa made room for Emily, and Netta and Gertrude seated themselves nearby. Occasionally, Madame Griesworth cast glances of annoyance at a group of children on the other side of the room, who by their noisy shouts continually interrupted her remarks, and prevented her understanding those of her neighbor. Gertrude's attention soon became attracted by them also to such a degree, that she did not hear more than half of the lively and gay sallies of wit and nonsense, which Netta continued to pour forth. "'Do go and play with those children, Gertrude,' said Netta, at last. "'I know you're longing to.' "'I'm longing to stop their play,' exclaimed Gertrude, "'an apparently ill-natured remark, which we are bound to explain. "'Some half-dozen gaily and fancifully dressed children, "'whose mothers were scattered about on the piazzas, "'and whose nurses were at supper, "'had collected around a strange little newcomer, "'whom they were subjecting to every species of persecution. "'Her clothes, though of rich material,' were most untidily arranged, and appeared somewhat soiled by travelling. Her little black silk frock, for the child was clad in mourning, seemed to be quite outgrown, being much shorter than some of her other garments, and her whole appearance denoted great negligence on the part of her parents or guardians. When Madame Griesworth's evident disturbance first led Gertrude to notice the youthful group, this little girl was standing in their midst, looking wildly about her, as if for a chance to escape. But this the children prevented, and continued to ply her with questions, each of which called forth a derisive shout from all but the poor little object of attack, who on her part looked ready to burst into tears. Whether the scene reminded Gertrude of some of her own experiences, or merely touched the cord of a universal spirit of sympathy for the injured, she could not keep her eyes from the little party, and just as Netta was fairly launched upon one of her favorite topics, namely, Mr. Phillips, and his unaccountable conduct, she sprung from her seat, exclaiming, "'They shan't torment that child so!' and hastily crossed the room to the rescue. Netta burst into a hearty laugh at Gertrude's excited and enthusiastic manner of starting on her benevolent errand, and this, together with the unusual circumstance of her crossing the large and crowded room hastily and alone, drew the inquiries of all the circle whom she had left, and during her absence she unconsciously became the subject of discussion and remark." "'What is the matter, Netta?' asked Madame Griesworth. "'Where has Gertrude gone?' "'To offer herself as a champion, Grandmamma, for that little rowdy-dowdy-looking child. "'Is she the one who has been making all this noise?' "'No, indeed, but I believe she is the cause of it.' "'It isn't every girl,' remarked Ellen, "'who could cross a great room like this so gracefully as Gertrude can.' 
"'She has a remarkably good figure,' said Madame Griseworth, "'and knows how to walk, a very rare accomplishment nowadays.' "'She is a very well-formed girl,' remarked Dr. Griseworth, "'who had observed Gertrude attentively as she crossed the room, "'and now, hearing her commented upon, "'turned to take his part in the criticism. "'But the true secret of her looking so completely the lady "'lies in her having uncommon dignity of character, "'being wholly unconscious of observation, "'and independent of the wish to attract it, "'and therefore simply acting herself. "'She dresses well, too.' "'Ellen, I wish you would imitate Miss Flint's style of dress. "'Nothing could be in better taste.' "'Or a greater savings to your purse, Papa,' whispered Netta. "'Gertrude dresses very simply.' "'Miss Flint's style of dress would not become Miss Griseworth,' "'said the fashionable Mrs. Pentricourt, "'who approached in time to hear the doctor's remark. "'Your daughter, sir, is a noble, showy-looking girl, "'and can carry off a great deal of dress. "'So can a milliner's doll, Mrs. Pentricourt. "'However, I suppose, in a certain sense, you are right.' The two girls are not sufficiently alike to resemble each other, if their dresses were matched with Chinese exactness. Resemble each other? You surely would not wish to see your beautiful daughter, the counterpart of one who has not half her attractions. Are you much acquainted with Miss Flint? Not at all, but Netta pointed her out to me at the tea-table as being a particular friend. Then you must excuse me, ma'am, if I remark that it is impossible you should have any idea of her attractions, as they certainly do not lie on the surface." "'You confess, then, that you do not think her handsome, sir?' "'To tell the truth, I never thought anything about it. "'Ask Pentricourt. He is an acknowledged judge.' "'And the doctor bowed in a flattering manner to the lady, "'who had been the belle of the season at the time her husband paid his addresses to her. "'I will, when I can get a chance. "'But he is standing too near the blind lady. "'Miss Flint's aunt, is she not?' "'Particular friend, not her aunt.' This conversation had been carried on in a low voice, that Emily might not hear it. Others, however, were either more careless, or more indifferent to her presence, for Madame Griseworth began to speak of Gertrude without restraint, as she was at this moment saying, "'One must see her under peculiar circumstances to be struck with her beauty at once. For instance, as I did yesterday, when she had just returned from horseback riding, and her face was in a glow from exercise and excitement.' or as she looks when animated by her intense interest in some glowing and eloquent speaker or when her feelings are suddenly touched and the tears start into her eyes and her whole soul shines out through them why grandmamma cried netta you are really eloquent so is gertrude at such times as those i speak of oh she is a girl after my own heart she must be a very agreeable young lady from your account said mr pentricourt we must know her "'You will not find her at all the same stamp as most of the agreeable young ladies whom you meet in the gay circles. I must tell you what Horace Willard said of her. He is an accomplished man and a scholar. His opinion is worth something. He had been staying a fortnight at the United States Hotel, and used to call here occasionally to see us. The day he left, he came to me and said, "'Where is Miss Flint? I must have one more refreshing conversation with her before I go. It is a perfect rest to be in that young lady's society.' "'for she never seems to be making the least effort to talk with me, "'or to expect any attempt on my part. "'She is one of the few girls who never speak "'unless they have something to say. "'How she has contrived to quiet those children!' "'Mr. Pentricourt followed the direction of Madame Griseworth's eyes. "'Is that the young lady you are speaking of?' asked he, "'the one with great dark eyes and such a splendid head of hair. "'I have been noticing her for some time.' "'Yes, that is she, talking to the little girl in black.' "'Madame Griseworth,' said Dr. Jeremy, through the long open window, and stepping inside as he spoke. 
I see you appreciate our Gertie. I did not say too much in praise of her good sense, did I? Not half enough, doctor. She is a very bright girl, and a very good one, I believe. Good? exclaimed the doctor. I didn't know that goodness counted in these places. But if goodness is worth speaking of, I should like to tell you a little of what I know of that girl. And without going closely into particulars, he commenced dilating enthusiastically upon Gertrude's noble and disinterested conduct under trying circumstances, and warming with his subject, had recounted, in a touching manner, her devotion to one old paralytic, to another infirm, imbecile, and ill-tempered old man, and his slowly declining daughter, and would have proceeded, perhaps, to speak of her recent self-sacrificing labors in Emily's service. But Miss Graham touched his arm, spoke in a low voice, and interrupted him. He stopped abruptly. "'Emily, my dear,' said he, "'I beg your pardon. I didn't know you were here. But what you say is very true. Gertrude is a private character, and I have no right to bring her before the public. I am an old fool, certainly. But there, we are all friends.' And he looked around the circle, a little anxiously, cast a slightly suspicious glance at the Pentracourts, and finally rested his gaze upon a figure directly behind Ellen Grisworth. The latter turned, not having been previously aware that any stranger was in the neighborhood, and, to her surprise, found herself face to face with Mr. Phillips. "'Good evening, sir,' said she, on recognizing him. But he did not seem to hear her. Madame Grisworth, who had never seen him before, looked up inquiringly. "'Mr. Phillips,' said Ellen, "'shall I make you acquainted with Mrs. Grisworth, my—' But before she could complete the introduction, he had darted quickly through the window, and was walking across the piazza with hasty strides. He drew forth his handkerchief, wiped the moisture from his brow, and unseen and unsuspected, brushed away a tear. End of chapter 37